Hello, hello, hello. My name is Victor Ra. Welcome to Eat the Blank Page. And I hope you are having a wonderful day. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to check me out on Quora if you have any questions to answer. If you have any questions to ask. Twitter for any announcements, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube for any of my short content, announcements, all those things. If you go to victorrow.com, you can read prologue to my new book, Doppler House, coming out sometime soon. Announcements to be made, things to be done, and conversations to be had. Today's conversation is going to be on power. And what I mean by power is uh, kind of a loose definition, but I think a good place to start is talking about One Punch Man. One Punch Man is an anime. Uh, it came out a few years ago, I want to say 2016, and was the first in a long line of shows that carried the format of there's this single overpowered character, overpowered meaning just like they're the strongest or there's no way to beat them, they're overpowered, and telling a story around that central character. If you want a more recent example, we can look at Jujutsu Kaisen with uh, Gojo where it is an expressed point in the plot, in jokes, in character conversations that Goto is the strongest. Same thing can be applied to Saitama in One Punch Man, where the entire point of the show is that there's this guy who can win every fight in one punch. Now, one of the biggest things in writing superheroes is the Superman effect, where you have a character who's so strong that normal problems aren't a possibility to write about. Where some of the best stories with Superman, because he was the strongest, are actually ones where Superman is in some way immobilized and isn't able to fight. And unless you're just like having this giant fight with uh, Doomsday or anyone else, I I can't think of anyone... There's no real threat when Superman comes in because he is this overpowered force in the show. He is the instant win button. He's the he's the everything else. And now nowadays they try to make it up with the uh, my world is cardboard to so it's like hold back thing. I think that's crap. But since that's the dilemma, how are you going to write a whole show based around that premise that there is someone who when they show up, they win. It it, it when first thinking about it, it takes away all the possibility of suspense. It takes away the possibility of like a dramatic fight where, oh, maybe they'll win, maybe they won't. It removes all question of stakes because, I mean, they're there. They're going to win, obviously. It's the name of the show. But the way they went about it, I think, is something that the newer shows, even um, if you look at Homelander, in the boys, they do this thing where it's not so much that they're a character, it's that they're this, they're a problem. It's not that they're a character, it's a problem. And as media has evolved and new shows have come out past One Punch Man, they've humanized and they've learned how to play in this space of this character is very strong, but they also can be a character. Where in One Punch Man, at least the first season, He's this bland dude, very basic guy, and then he shows up and he wins. And what, how they did this was they switched the focus where whenever you had a superhero movie or a show with the main character, 
you would want to focus on the main character, of course. But what happens when the main character is the strongest character? You're kind of shooting yourself in the foot on a writing standpoint. But the way One Punch Man writers went about this was that they made the story about the side characters. They made the story about Genos, who's this cyborg that's trying to avenge his family and be a hero, and he follows Saitama because he knows he's the strongest. And 90% of the, the episode will be about Genos fighting something, usually getting beaten or brutalized. Um, the fight with the Sea King comes to mind, where he's, he ends up as just like a torso and a head, and he's about to blow up the city. Um, and then Saitama shows up, and he's like, what's going on here? And even though Saitama is the main character, with his appearance on screen comes comes expectation that you wouldn't get with Genos. So they're flipping the script as, yes, this is the main character, but this is not who we're going to be focusing on. And even though that might sound counterintuitive, it's like, okay, well, whoever you're focusing on now is going to be the main character. No, because they focus on many different main characters. So as the stakes are brought up, as problems are announced, new side characters are shown, usually getting more... Um, explanation than Saitama himself. You you know more about Genos. You know more about these random uh, villain of the day animal freaks that lead to like the big bad of the episode or one or two episodes than you do with Saitama because you don't need to know a lot about him. He's the guy who wins. Hey, this is what he did to get strong and it sounds ridiculous, but like, hey, whatever. And the point of One Punch Man and in an artistic view, is very different than this practice of power balancing, where you'll have all the side characters fight the villains, and then the main character shows up, or there's too many things for him to get to, or there's something limited him, you call back to the Superman problem, or why Superman's tough to write for. Getting rid of all of that, you're left with side characters fighting villains, learning about the side characters, learning about the villains, and then right when all hope's lost, bing, bam, boom, here's Saitama, Saitama's like, huh? And then clocks whoever has <laughs> been the problem. And then they all go home. And that formula doesn't feel formulaic because every time you start to learn about someone new, it, it's a whole new show. I remember in season two when they started following Garo, and he was a very strong character, but he was not immortal. He, was, he wasn't unbeatable. At this point in the show, we've already seen Saitama solo, like this god alien who had been traveling the universe just to fight someone. And it was on such a different level where it wasn't the stakes that were fun to watch. It wasn't the stakes that got you there or that kept you there. It was the spectacle aspect of it. And whenever you have these overpowered characters, one of the best things you can do is have that spectacle, especially when it comes to uh, shows like real-life TV shows, uh, anime, cartoons. When you have the powerhouses going at it, you can just show off. But when it, things are emotional and things are you know, scary, that's when you can build the, um, are they going to live, are they going to die, what are they going to do? How are they going to get out of this situation? Because you never feel that with Saitama, with Superman. And maybe you do, depending on who's writing what. But that's generally 
how they tell the story. Where I, I remember getting hyped up about uh, Newman Ryder, and he he did the whole like oh, I'll save everyone, and he's just this guy on a on a bicycle, and that's all he is. He's like a D rank hero or something, but he really wants to be like a, a, a big shot, and he rolls up on the Sea King who just completely destroyed Genos. He has no shot in the world, and so they're giving out like an emotional beat in the show where. All the crowds hyping up Newman Ryder, and he's like, "I'll save everyone!" Ah! And then the Sea King grabs his arm, slams him into the concrete, and throws him away. Like nothing happened. And then Saitama arrives, beats Sea King. Everyone leaves. So, getting away from the idea that your main character has to be the center point of the story is where these kinds of shows thrive, because you have the power. You have the power stored away in one character. This guy can win every single fight. That's the expectation. That's the information. And throwing him away, making him distracted, will have these side characters have their adventures seem much more emotional and much more like, oh my god, what are they going to do? Especially if you make it tough for your main characters or these side characters that you're following like they are a main character. And then you can always have the main guy show up and beat him and i think there was a huge limitations on one punch man when they first started writing and so now that they've gotten away from it they, they've made uh characters like king and garo and just people that you would like to watch who aren't saitama and they still interact with them of course but it's getting away from following strictly What's Saitama doing? What's the stakes? All those things. Now we can follow Garo, who's this, who's just this guy, and he is the uh, evil student of one of the other S-class heroes, and he's going around killing everyone. And the, and the question is, oh, what's going to do when he gets Saitama? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then Saitama, he like bumps into Saitama right when he's like shopping or something. Saitama hits him on the shoulder, knocks him out after he just got done killing like 90 heroes or something. And it's just, wow, okay. <laughs> let's get let's get reminded who the big dog is because you you just had so much build up. But I think hype and build up and emotion can follow these struggle fights can or these struggling uh, situations. Getting away from one punch man there was this mission in the first Modern Warfare remake where you played as a little girl and you were hiding from a soldier in your house that's, that was trying to get you. And I'm sorry for the Call of Duty fans, but I do not remember names. So it's going to be a little girl and big soldier guy. And the whole thing was that if he saw you, he was going to go grab you and he was going to snatch you and kill you or whatever. But it was... you Think about the kind of game Call of Duty is. Massive gunfights. Spy tech, military bombardment, missions, all these high stake things are so just prominent in the in the game's uh, campaign. We're jumping out of helicopters, man. We're diving under. We're diving through submarines. We're blowing up oil rigs. We're we're fighting the war, man. And then the scariest, just intense part of the game is when you're trapped in a single house how can that be well it's power where's the power and who has it talking like one punch man you have this character like okay 
they're strong, but are they beatable? Well, in this scenario, the uh, the modern warfare mission, yeah, because no one's an alien, no one's special. It's just humans. It's two people. It's just one of them is a full grown man who's like a soldier. The other one is a seven year old girl, and through this mission, you have to run around your house and you're you're climbing under tables, you're going through little vents. You're playing hide-and-seek with this dude until eventually he gets distracted or something and you have to, like, stab him in the leg, run away. You have to find another, like, pair of scissors and then catch him in the neck. And it's so intense because there's so there's so much of a difference in power in where in the game you're, desatur- you're desaturized to the, the exchange of hey, I have a gun, you have a gun. I'm the player, though, so bang, you're done. Or if you play on, like, harder difficulty, it's like, okay, you can fight back. You can't fight back. There is no fight. You're, you're hiding. You're running. It's scary. There's no intense music. There's no uh, volley of grenades getting thrown at you. There's no yelling. There's no screaming. It's a quiet house with giant footsteps stomping through it, and you're supposed to skitter around like a rat. It is intense. Um... By itself, I believe it is, but also taking into context the game as a whole and what you're used to when playing, it throws you into this whole new realm of, oh, I can't just barrel my way through this guy. He's a problem, and now the door's locked. And that's not even talking about if you have experience with those types of situations, which I hope you don't. And guys, I just wanted to take a moment to say, you can find me on all the different socials, Victor Rose Stories, and my... Uh, website victorrow.com if you want to read the prologue to my story the doppler house it's a love story about doppelgangers and when we have that kind of expectation of power i think avatar the last airbender is a really good example because the expectation is that the avatar is this like kind of like a one punch man where he shows up and he wins but the journey is what the story is about we don't join Aang and the gang after they defeat the Fire Lord and Aang has all four elements mastered and he's like the big bad avatar and, you know, they're getting ready for Korra to ruin the franchise. But we fo- we follow him right at his, right at the bare minimum he has to be to go on this, this story. He knows his element. He's an airbender because the show's called The Last Airbender. He, we know that's his whole thing. Okay, that's his thing. Who is he? And through the story, or through Avatar, Last Airbender, we find out who he is, how he reacts to situations, we see him grow, we see him change, but we also see that through the eyes of the side characters, we also see the side characters change in our interactions, but on a strictly power dynamic conversation. I would describe... Aang's journey as kind of like a milestone progression D&D campaign where every time you hit a milestone you get the upgrades in this case Aang's whole thing is that he's trying to learn all four elements and so it, it brings in characters along with it and everything and just super good idea for a journey type story where he already knows one but the other three he needs to go find people spectacular but the whole idea is that every time he gets the new upgrade, learns a new element, he is now stronger. And with each element he gets, he makes the other ones stronger because he's able to f- 
blend them, not element wise, but um, ability wise. I remember it was Zuko specifically, the firebender of the group, who learned defensive moves from Toph, who was the earthbender. And with the help of his uncle Iroh being like, hey, you need to get wisdom from all four elements so you're not like rigid and stale, you can then fully acquire like your full capabilities with firebending. And in one of his final fights, he uses an earthbender defensive move, which is just amazing animation and attention to detail. But this idea of milestones is really effective because you have, it's all about expectation. It's all about expectation. Power is expectation. Who holds the gun? That kind of thing. But with the upgrades, you see that through almost every anime there is. Hey, Goku just hit Super Saiyan. What's Super Saiyan? How strong is Super Saiyan? Let's figure it out. Where Aang is, hey, he just learned waterbending. What can he do with waterbending? How strong is he with waterbending? Does he have to learn new techniques or all those things? But what was I just talking about? I think who holds the gun is also just a very basic explanation of what power dynamics are, where you have someone with no power and then someone with all the power. But, okay, let's have that situation. You have someone with, with a gun, someone without a gun. But the guy without a gun is a martial arts expert, extravagant Ganza super guy. And even though he has the guy that has the gun, he doesn't have all the power because the other guy can still like win. Okay. Now what if the guy who holds it also has like martial arts skills? Okay, now it's a balancing, but the guy with the gun has more power. My Hero Academia is kind of a take on this idea of having someone with all the power and shows another aspect of it where it's not specifically that this person has all the power, this person, when they fight, they win. It's not that in the purest form, it's that when it's dying. When you have a world where this character has been the one punch man, has been the avatar, and they start getting weaker. So they're not always going to be the end-all be-all. And the way they go about that is, I think, very smart with having someone else start to become the new overpowered character. And so as the guy who is the overpowered character, All Might, is weakening, imagine like a tall bar getting shorter, we have Deku who is learning how to control the power and getting stronger like every episode. So you have a short bar who's getting taller. And so as those powers flip in level, that's where the journey is. There's fear from the main hero losing power, and then it invites vacuums, uh, power vacuums, which show new like villains, and there can be some expectations with like villains who haven't been able to do anything because of All Might, and now it throws a bunch of pressure on the people who are learning and getting stronger. But then you have the underdog story of someone who's weaker getting stronger who you know is going to be the world's strongest hero because that's the first few words in the show uh this is the story about how i became the world's greatest hero yada 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 da 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 deku eats hair <laughs> um but 
it, it was such a natural way to get over the power creep thing where going back to uh, going back to Dragon Ball Z and even things like Bleach where you have this idea of power creep okay what's power creep power creep is when things get so astronomically overpowered overhyped over everything where you can't connect to anything where it's so ridiculous that you're losing the essence of what the show initially was and you're gaining this new thing which is pure spectacle pure hype which can be good it depends on who's watching or who who what they're watching for i know plenty of people who just watch for the fights so in that regard it's very good but i also know people who watch for the story for the character development and for the emotional beats along with the fights so it's really a, a pick and choose which one you would rather but with power creep comes kind of the rush to find something stronger best best scenario is um dragon ball z where i would define it as a soft magic system as hey i casted a spell and now you're a frog okay well that seems like a very overpowered ability but in that show it's hey i'm giving my all and you know i'm gonna try really really hard and because i tried really hard my beam was like 10 times as big as yours and i won so it's a self-magic system in that sense of where just because this happened it happened there's no hard magic system like um i'd say full metal alchemist is a good example where you need something in order to do something and there's no flubbing everything gets an explanation everything has its own rules to it like hey i can make this because i had this and this you can't just make this and it's like oh okay well this guy's unique because he can just use his hands as an incantation circle okay why was he able to do that oh because he saw um the one and you know got something taken from him and everything and because there's no defining powers and i want to talk about jujutsu kaisen um in a second because they do this very well there's no defining powers in dragon ball so yes you have moves you have different um species like you have the namekians and what they can do you have the saiyans and what they can do you have humans and their techniques but it all blends together because initially it's all just throwing punches and kicks and all that stuff there's no you don't talk about technique like you would in baki it's just like hey they're like throwing blows and it's crazy and whoa and then they shoot lasers and blah and they all have cool names but it's not like hey i'm gonna shoot this laser and then you're gonna turn into a muffin and i'm gonna eat you that's what boo was but you don't have that sense of this works because only because i did this and this and it's not that necessity of resources is what makes a hard magic system it's just that when you have a hard magic system it means that things aren't just happening because magic bro if you if you're able to turn a cup into a mouse because magic you have a soft magic system but if you take a wooden tree and then you turn it into a wooden horse statue through um alchemistry that's a hard magic system because you needed the rules now why is this important because if you have no rules and you're entering a power creep finding someone that is the next big bad very hard 
And the way they went about it, I think, is a very smart way, but a way that they've done like three other times. So if you look at Dragon Ball as it, as it is now, they're fighting gods of destruction. You're talking about the 12 universes. You're talking about the Omni King and all of these just universe-level opponents. And a smart thing that they did was that they they entered Zeno. They entered the strongest character in the show. No one's stro- stronger than Zeno. And they even used the formula that you find in One Punch Man on Goku Black and Zamasu. I, th- I think that's what his name was. Where, okay, you have the classic Vegeta and Goku going at it. They're fighting the Goku clones and, oh my god, he can't die because reasons. And then they use the button that calls the Omni King, destroys that version of the universe, and they win. Everyone goes home. And yeah, there's ramifications, like there's two Omni Kings now, but it's that same formula of, hey, they're getting their ass kicked. Main guy comes in with all the power, fixes everything, they leave. So what ended up happening before that was that they just kept adding new Super Saiyan levels, which is awesome. Yeah, sure. Hey, this guy just turned into a Super Saiyan. Whoa, that's crazy. But he just beat the guy who's been emperor of the whole universe for however many years. So, okay, now Goku in Super Saiyan form is strong enough to enslave the entirety of the universe. Hmm, okay, cool. Now we have a problem. Who who in this fighting aliens and monsters anime, who are we going to have that's stronger than the emperor of the entire universe, whatever, whatever. And they went with this perfect being creation, Frankenstein's monster of all the fighters in the show that in him itself had transformations that were connected to um, B-level villains that eventually became friends. Cell. And okay, now he's the second big bad that comes through. And you know it's a big bad when all of the villains talk about him with fear. It's the fear of the villains that they're fighting what makes the big bad the big bad. But I digress, I'll talk about that too. You have the new guy, Cell. Now he's perfect. Shit. Okay, instead of Goku getting Super Saiyan 2, we're going to have Gohan do it. So Gohan hits this new level that's beyond Super Saiyan 1. And we just slap a two on it because it's the next level up. Okay, now we've defined a trend where there's things beyond a Super Saiyan now on this new level. But we've also shown that there's progression capabilities. And you don't show that with one step. You you show that with two. Because one step is just like, this is my new, this is my ultimate form. I can't get any stronger than this. And then the second you you show a next step, you assume that there's going to be more steps because, you know, pattern recognition. And that comes with the Boo Saga. You get the Super Saiyan 3s. Uh, you get fusions. You get all these other ways to get way more powerful. And Super Saiyan 3 special because not everyone can do it. Like, Vegeta never goes Super Saiyan 3. And then you have the, um, the non-canons like Super Saiyan 4s. But then you have more canon uh, Super Saiyan God. Okay, what the fuck? Whoa. Wait, well, when did we get to Super Saiyan God? Okay, well, we went from Emperor of All Space. Then we went to Perfect Creation, Perfect Being, um, designed to beat everyone on the show. Okay, they beat that guy. The new guy who shows up is someone that 
even the emperor of the universe was like told not to mess with is just like this embodiment of rage and is very different from the last two because he's just kind of like this mindless dude who's just angry and wants to kill everything and it it's the show of the power creep isn't the problem it's that dragon ball when it first came out was all about martial arts and fighting and hey, this guy's stronger than this guy and now in a few steps we get universe level villains and so now our heroes are universe level so now we can never do the regular tournament idea okay fine you know everyone seems to like the universe level guys but you start going into super saiyan god super saiyan god super saiyan super saiyan blues uh super saiyan blue 2 super saiyan blue 2 kaioken and now it's like okay now we have a whole new transformation ultra instinct okay are all the last power-ups fodder are they good are they bad you see shows get away from themselves like in naruto where it goes from stealth tactics and everyone has a fair fight as long as they have their own thing to dropping meteors on people and some people think that's bad some people think it's good i'm middle of the road it's all with what you're watching for but something that has all of these elements and i think is like kind of a love child of all the shows i've talked about and have learned the lessons with power creep and overpowered characters and a show that i think follows the lineage of the one punch man formula of having someone who's like a one-shot character is jujitsu kaisen the mentor of the main character is the strongest character in the show and so you have them close by but you're also able to learn the world through them because they're a teacher character and so now you're learning about the main three but you're also learning about all the other kids who are in the school and it's a very good show you should, you should definitely check it out but you're given the episode one information that this guy is the strongest sorcerer in the entire world and then you get an example of it there's some spectacle you get the uh, the belly demon who's like the strongest opposite so you have sorcerers and you have curses who are like evil you have you have the strongest good guy you have the strongest bad guy but the strongest bad guy is in uh, the main character it's very naruto-esque and even within the show they talk about power creep but bec they they set limitations on themselves so just because you're able to use uh, cursed energy doesn't mean you're able to use every technique it also says that 90 or 80 percent of all your ability is inherited so even if you train up like you might not match up with someone who's just has these really good abilities um but it also is affected by how much you work on them and your effectiveness as a sorcerer is also dependent on that. But it's a very refreshing take when in season two, they shifted the perspective back to Gojo or to Gojo because it never really had been. And it tells the story about the strongest characters in the show um, and the thing that separated them being gojo and his old best friend who is who like became evil and now the show's all about this they're going back they're retelling they're showing gojo's like climb um how he always used to be the strongest and everything and you see in the latest episodes they just throw all the spectacle to the wall they're like hey 
fucking Gojo fights all of these big bads. Gojo does this, does that. But there's also a million and one super Superman uh, fixes where you have people in danger, too many people that he can't focus on. You have a mix of monsters eating these people. You have strategic barriers that uh, prevent him from going to and from certain places. You have time limits. You have uh, his friends getting like friends on a on a timer about to get killed, and then they throw all of the strongest uh, monsters at him. He gets a few, but it was all a diversion because they all had to team up to trap him in this like ultimate trap that negates powers or something. And now you're thrown into the world that My Hero Academia was leading to. You're throwing into the world of there is no more strongest character fix by sealing him. And because you had the security blanket on through the entire show and through all these certain things and all of these not end of the world scenarios, but all of these ending battles at the end of the first season um very pivotal moments where if the strong guy was just there he would be fixing everything you have that security blanket of that's always an option that gojo could show up but now that he's sealed that is not an option maybe the and the they changed the entire narrative to go we need to save gojo right now we need our we need our instant win button and just having him have all the strength plays with the plot in such a way that is just awesome to watch if you're interested in that whole dynamic of yes everyone's very proud of how strong they are yes everyone's very capable but everyone accepts and acknowledges that this person is the strongest so what do the bad guys do they have to get them away from everyone make them incapable of helping everyone and the good guys are only focused on making on making sure that their big guy can be the big guy and you, you saw traces of this in the war arc of Naruto where they wanted to like keep Naruto away from the fights because he was so important, but because he was so strong, it, it was a weird dance of like, well, he kind of needs to be here to fight, but like if he gets taken out, we're all done. And then the counter argument to that is, hey, well, even if he does get taken out, we're all done if he doesn't fight. <laughs> so it's a, it's a play of power. And I think... The best way to utilize the power struggles and the dynamics of power are side characters and keeping in mind the keeping in mind your oh keeping in mind the standards of the show where okay if you have a game that's all about guns and explosions and war and rah! Now you have your your little girl in a quiet house with a big soldier. If you have a show that's like, this guy, he hits everyone once and they're done. Okay, now he is uh, off somewhere and not around. Okay, oh God, uh, now we gotta fight. You have the strongest character getting weaker. Oh shit, okay, gotta pick up the slack, gotta get stronger, gotta get better. Because all these heroes, that all these villains that are way stronger than us weren't stronger than the strong guy. Now we gotta take care of this. Oh, God, we gotta, we gotta, get, we gotta release the strong guy that got, got sealed up because we need to win this fight. And it's the blanket that you're given of, hey, there's this guy who can beat every single character. 
and strategically removing and adding that blanket of security can usher in scenes of spectacle and emotional like suspenseful scenes where it can lead to something it can catapult a scene into a crazy moment where everything looks like it's going bad and then boom here it is and you can even see that in power-up scenes where the first time goku goes super saiyan everything's going bad krillin just got capped frieza's laughing everything's bad and then boom super saiyan goku and he just toys with him and decides not to kill him but whatever and yeah i think power is a very effective tool um when talking about suspense and expectations because it's not so much having it is the the good idea it's the ability to as a writer and as someone storyboarding with this kind of like world effect in mind where this character can just win it's not about using that character. It's about how often you hold him back or them back or you take them out of the equation is what can be really, can be really effective. And I, I wish my book was out so I could talk about this example, but I do use um, this idea in the example where it's not that there's one person who's super strong, it's that there's a few people who are very weak and without their partners, um, they're very vulnerable to people who wouldn't be much of a threat. And so it's kind of that bitter feeling of, gosh, if, they, if this person was just here, then these guys who suck wouldn't be winning. And it's just, feel, it makes you feel nasty in your stomach. But yeah, it's a very effective tool. And I think using it is very situational because all of these shows kind of revolve, all the plots of these shows revolve around there's the character who can win. But if you do have that situation, it can be very effective. But I believe that's all the time I have for this one. I hope anyone was able to glean anything out of that. This is the first time I'm, I'm kind of talking about the other half of this podcast, which is storytelling and writing. Uh, I've, I've been very on the motivational kick for the uh, other two. But yeah, thank you very much for joining me. This is a bi-weekly podcast. We post Monday and Thursday, I believe. Yeah, Monday and Thursday. And so I hope to see you there for Thursday's episode. Have a pretty good one cook cooked up for you guys. Yeah. Follow me on all my socials. Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Quora, Victoro Stories. On all of those, you can also check out the prologue of my story, The Doppler House, on victoro.com for completely free. And yeah, I hope to see you guys next time. I hope everyone has a wonderful, wonderful day. And stay safe.